I'm sorry. No, if you take Florida and cut off the bottom half of the panhandle, uh, south of the panhandle, uh, they're not southern. It's just, it, it just gets less and less southern the further south you go in Florida. And uh, the very top of Florida is very, very southern uh, tradition. And uh, so I was raised in the south. My wife is named Georgia. She's in the very back, and she's from Georgia. Uh, shocker. So um, uh, we, we met. So the teens are going to, to wave camp. Y'all like learning, what, what is the wave camp? It's the theme. Okay. Like, you know, we're going to learn how to do the thing. Hey, I've been to some sporting events where they didn't know how. So um, <laughs> teach them. Teach this generation the wave. Um, no, that's cool. Uh, we met at summer camp. So any of you ugly teen boys, there's hope. Uh, me and Georgia... Me and Georgia met at summer camp. I was the youth pastor at my church in Jacksonville. We took our teens up to that camp. She, her, her dad's been preaching in that camp for 35 years, and uh, she was there as one of the workers, and we, you know, our eyes met. And uh, so <clears throat> it's church, so I won't tell you anymore. But uh, she, she was good looking, and she thought I was for some reason, bless her heart. So um, we have five kids, uh, Reagan, Jackson, Jefferson, Madison, and John Quincy Adams. Um, poor kid, I know. So uh, we love it, love our kids. I'm from, here's the part I kept leaving off. I'm from South Valley Baptist Church in CUNA. So it wasn't a very far drive for me to come over this morning. And uh, I knew where the church was, but I didn't know how long it would take to get here. And I needed to make sure there was time for a uh, Starbucks. So, um, so I could get a little bit of the spirit, you know what I'm saying? The Bible talks about the spirit of the Lord being like water. Anytime it talks about water, a lot of times it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the water of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is actually heated up and uh, run through some coffee grounds. You know what I mean? So it's like the activator for, uh, for the Spirit. So anyhow, uh, I think that's all the stuff I have there. Let's go ahead and open uh, our Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 3. Oh, I forgot to say I love this church. Your pastor is a good friend, uh, Brother Van Manen. Uh, I appreciate him, I appreciate his friendship, and his, uh, his kindness to, uh, to ask me to preach for him in his absence. Uh, so I really appreciate that, and my goodness how friendly and inviting and welcoming y'all have been. So uh, keep that up here in Caldwell, we need it. Um, we need it in our valley. So if we had one Baptist church in our valley that was preaching the gospel, it wouldn't be enough. Right? I mean, we have enough people. We need, we need some good Bible-preaching churches, and this is one of them, and I appreciate that. So, Judges chapter 3. I saw that there was a uh, water bottle holder. How cool is that? Um, <clears throat> I needed to use it, so I had to get a water bottle. Um, <clears throat> all right, Judges chapter number 3. <clears throat> We'll read verse number 31. We're going to talk about one of the judges today. <clears throat> and um, we're going to read every single verse in the Bible that references this man. Uh, so we'll start here in Judges chapter 3 and verse 31. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Annas, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. That is the first verse that mentions him in the Bible. One page over, chapter number 5, Judges chapter number 5 and verse number 6. <clears throat> in the days of Shamgar, the son of Annas, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied. The travelers walked through byways. 
The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. Um, That's it. Shamgar. Two whole verses that say his name. Three verses that really kind of describe Israel in the days of Shamgar. Um, This is what we know about him. He's the son of Annas. Um, I feel like I'm repeating a lot of, I am repeating exactly verbatim what I did earlier. Um, uh, His father's name was Annas, but he had a lisp. Um, It didn't work on the second crowd. All right. Uh, So his dad's name was Annas. He was the third judge of Israel, Shamgar, third judge of Israel. He's kind of bookended by two really, really popular judges, Ehud, the left-handed dude who killed the fat guy, and then, uh, and then you got Deborah and Barak. Um, and you'll never really hear the Bible when, when people talk about the judges of Israel to say, and then there was Barak, and then there was, they're going to say there's no Deborah and Barak. Um, so, and she said that that would happen. But so Judges chapter number three, verse 31, gives us literally the third judge of Israel. It gives us, boom, Shamgar, son of Annas, he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goads, and he also delivered Israel. And we move on to the next, like, goes into the next apostasy, the servitude of Israel, the fact that there was another judge that was raised up, and Barak said, I will not go unless Deborah goes with me. And she said, well, you're not going to get all the glory. That's fine with me. So we, song, we, we have a song in Judges chapter 5 where we read the song of Deborah and Barak, and you read about Shamgar in the song. Like, so today, if somebody were to immortalize you in song, and I'm not, I'm not talking about Taylor Swift who would immortalize you for being mean to her, uh, but if somebody were to immortalize somebody in song, it's a pretty big deal, right? You get mentioned in a song. How awesome is that? Well, he's mentioned in the song of Deborah and Barak. The song they're writing. And they talk about the days of Shamgar, the son of Anna. He gets mentioned in this song. I believe <clears throat> that in the days of Shamgar and following Shamgar, in the days of the judges, that he was more popular than he is today. Most people, when you hear the name Shamgar, unless you've recently studied the judges, you don't know who he is. Most people are not going to really recognize him. You say, well, who's your favorite judge? A lot of people are going to say Gideon. Uh, some people may say Deborah. Some people may say Ehud because there's a really cool story of the way he killed. But, I mean, Shamgar? Really? We have one verse about the dude. But I think that Shamgar has such great lesson for us uh, that we can draw out <clears throat> Now, we know that Shamgar was a judge, and it's not just because the Bible, if you have headings, which are not ordained of God, uh, that say Shamgar, the third judge. Um, that's a hint. Another hint would be that he's in between two judges. He must be a judge because he's in the middle of them. You also have the fact that it says after him, and that's something that's always said about the judges. Not, not necessarily every single time, but it would say about a judge, after him, this person came. Um, and then another thing it says about him at the end of verse 31 is that he also delivered Israel. Uh, the delivering of Israel is the work of a judge. That's what their job was. They helped to uh, settle disputes. They helped in certain ways in Israel, but their main purpose for being called in action was for the, the, the deliverance of the children of God, the people of Israel, to be delivered from a servitude from their apostasy. And so we know about him. We know he is the son of Anus. We know that he killed 600 Philistines with a sword. We know he was, a, or with an ox goat, I'm sorry. We know that he was a judge, and we know that he delivered Israel. Um, judges 5 and verse 6, 7, and, and actually I'm going to read verse 8. I didn't do this earlier. 
<clears throat> it says, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, the days of jail, the highways were unoccupied. Travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel, till that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose, mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. So, I talked earlier about the fact that the, the state of Israel at this time, the economy of Israel was a low point, but spiritually Israel was a low point too. Like it's not just their economy was bad. Their economy was bad, by the way. It's not just that they were spiritually dry. They were spiritually dry, by the way. Um, it's those two together. Israel's low. Israel's at a really low point in their life. Commerce had all but dried up. If you take the best, the best I can really do with, with putting this into today's terms uh, uh, for us to understand is, is you took Interstate 84 and, and you really just erased the fact that there were roads before 84 that went to the coast. And you took Interstate 84, there are no railroads, we just have this one main highway where all of our commerce comes through. We bring goods into Idaho. We export goods out of Idaho. Our commerce depends upon Interstate 84 being open. It really, really depends on it. We can, we can transfer money electronically, but we cannot ele electronically transfer sugar beets and potatoes. Got to, you know, Captain Kirk has not quite gotten that technology yet to where we can transport stuff. We got to use the trucks. We got to use the trains. But So this is the days of Shamgar. <clears throat> there were no highways. They were shut down. People didn't use them. It says the, the highways the highways were unoccupied. Nobody traveled by the highway. Highway was the easiest way to get anywhere, but the highways were unoccupied. And it says that people, travelers, walked through byways. Byways were very difficult to pass through. You did not, you didn't usually ride a horse through a byway. Byway was very difficult to pass. You were climbing over things. You were going winding. There was overgrowth. It wasn't simply... Uh, just, okay, well, we can't use the highway because of the enemy. We'll just use this byway, and it will be just fine. It wasn't like that. These people were hurting financially. Israel was hurting. And it says in verse number 7 that the inhabitants of the villages ceased. You drive down Interstate 84 through our valley, and you're going to see a sign that says, you know, Boise, next five exits. Caldwell, I think, next three exits. Nampa, we have like one exit, really. But, um, but you, you, next several exits is this city that you can get off in. And as soon as you hop off on the exit, you're there. First thing you have is gasoline, which is elevated because you're close to the highway. But you got villages, essentially, right next to the highway. That didn't happen in Israel in this day. People had to, they, they actually left their villages, their homes, and retreated back for fear of the enemy. That's where Israel is in this day. That's where Shamgar lived. That's when Shamgar was called into service. That's the day Israel was in. Um, the state of Israel was not high. They weren't in their peak of prosperity. If I were to be chosen to be a judge or a leader in Israel, I'd ask God not to pick the days of Shamgar. It's not a good time. I, can, can somebody else, uh, can somebody else please uh, build it up? Somebody else please fix the problems with the economy? I, I can help judge. I can help just settle disputes, but oh my goodness, I don't want this place. It's, 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 it's at a low point. But that's what Shamgar uh, was called to service in. It wasn't their peak of prosperity. Now, I said it before, <clears throat> he comes between two really, really popular judges. Um, and I think, I think Shamgar 
was famous in his day. I think he deserves some popularity and fame today. I think he deserves us to know his name because of what he did. You know that the Bible mentions three other people that killed more Philistines than Shamgar. That's it. Three other people, and you know all three of them. Saul, David, and Samson. Nobody else is mentioned as having killed as many people as Shamgar. That's it. Uh, David's really famous for one Philistine in particular. Uh, Saul, the Bible says, Saul had slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Uh, Samson killed him with the, the, the jawbone of a donkey. I mean, like, those were pretty powerful men. Those were pretty famous uh, killers of Philistines. But Shamgar, 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Um, I'd like to look at some of the circumstances that, that surround this famous battle. Hopefully today it becomes more famous. Um, Shamgar gets up in the morning and he gets ready to go plow his fields. He's a, he's, he's, he had oxen. Oxen weren't, <laughs> you didn't ride your oxen into the market so you could pick up fresh fruit. You used to, they would, he got his tractor ready essentially, but Shamgar gets his oxen ready. And um, this is where Brent the farmer, please don't judge me. No, he gets his oxen ready and, and, and he goes out to the pen. He grabs his ox goaded from the house and he goes out to the oxen. He brings them up, hitches them up. He starts putting the yoke on them. And uh, I, I watched in researching this just to, just to understand. I mean, obviously today things are a little bit different, but really yoking up oxen is basically the same as it was. Like there's not much difference. Uh, one thing that the guy explained in one of the videos I watched, he said that the, the yoke itself can weigh up, upwards of 100 pounds. So uh, I don't know about you, but when you're dealing with oxen, and I watched the, the guy, he had to like use his whole body to move them from side to side, and they, they didn't want to move, they didn't have to. I mean, he was, he was trying, and they would move. He goaded them a little bit, and it, it really moved them. But, but the, the yoke, you've got 100 pounds, you've got to lift up to the next of them underneath them. And you put the top piece, and I don't remember all the details, but you put pegs in there. So if something were to happen with the oxen, you could quickly pull one of the pegs that would release them from the yoke so they don't hurt themselves because they're valuable. Um, and Shamgar's getting out there doing this by himself. He's getting out there. He's yoking up his oxen. He's getting the plow attached to him. And he starts out to his field. What do you think Shamgar was out to do when he yoked up his oxen and put the plow on? What do you think he wanted to do? Plow. <laughs> wow. Work in his field. Be a farmer. Plant some seeds, harvest whatever. I don't think you harvest crops with a plow, but he, he was out working in his field. Shamgar wasn't out picking a fight with anybody. He was just out doing what he needed to do to survive. He was out. He was just out working. I mean, what, what do, you, do you blame the guy? No, he's a farmer. What do you expect a farmer to do? To farm. So that's what Shamgar was doing. He was out doing the work that he normally would do. He's just living his life, doing what he needed to do. This is what was required to me. This is what I'm going to do. And while he's out there. He gets faced with an opponent. Um, he gets faced with an opponent that really caught him, I would say, off guard. Uh, the Philistines came. A garrison of Philistines uh, met him. Now, something I saw recently on uh, Facebook where all credible news, news sources flow from, uh, a farmer was driving his tractor with a hara. Horror, horror, harrow. In the south, we call it something different, but we don't. No, we don't. We don't finish our words. He said, "If you're from the east, you can say harrow." I said, "But we would say hara because you don't finish your words. If you finish, that's inefficient finishing your words." Um, but uh, 
But he's out there, a farmer's out there with his tractor, and he's pulling the harrow behind, harrow behind, and because I'm over here, and uh, he's got him down the fork thingies that go into the ground and pull, and he's he's using his phone, and you're not paying attention, and he went across a road, and the the lines go across the highway. It's all torn up, and the 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 thing said, "Don't text and farm." Um, Brent, don't text and farm. It's just a bad idea when you're when you're driving a tractor to destroy a road. Um, I thought about cars. He probably had to pull, you know, he was got the boot put on and had to, it's not real. Cars isn't real. Um, okay. So there's some qualities, I think, in Shamgar that we can mirror in our lives. So let's go ahead and get into it. <clears throat> some things I think can be encouragement to us uh, today when we follow the example of Sham- Shamgar in chapter 3 and verse 31 of Judges. The first thing I think we can learn from him is that we start where we are. Now, Shamgar, when he got up that morning, his hand was at the plow. He was farming. And off in the distance, you've got, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, illustrations of what the Philistines looked like, what what their battle gear looked like, but there's a lot of illustrations that have them with red feathers off the tops of their heads. So if we can follow that illustration that probably came from Abraham Lincoln's Facebook page, um, uh, off in the distance you see a, a red feather, and then another red feather, and another one, and another one, and now a bunch of them. Those red feathers are attached to helmets. Those helmets are on heads of hardened soldiers. And now there's too many to count, so my goodness, the, the horizon just filled up with Philistine soldiers. Um, and he's plowing his field. Now, how Shamgar reacted, and I understand the scripture just says he, he slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goat. That's all it says of him. But you've got to know that when Shamgar was confronted by a garrison of Philistines, he wasn't out looking for his fight. He wasn't expecting that this is what he was going to do today. Um, this is probably, I think, a pinky in the brain. What are we going to do today? The same thing we do every day. We plow our field. Shamgar didn't say the same thing we do every day. Kill Philistines with an ox goat. Um, he's out plowing his field. That's, he's confronted with a call to service, if you will. So Shamgar's called to service in the moment while he's plowing his field. He's a farmer. He's working in his field. All he wants to do is plant, or all he wants to do is break up the field. Whatever he's doing at that time to prepare the ground for planting, that's what he's doing. Where he is. And this is the call to action for us as Christians is when called into service, and I can assure you, I don't know everybody in here. I practically just say, I don't really know anybody in here. God wants to use you. And you know where he wants to start with you? Right where you are. Um, let's read, let me read a passage, 1 Kings chapter 19. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. First Kings chapter 19, and we'll start in verse number 8. This is speaking of Elijah. It says, And he arose and did eat and drink, and I'm going to read fast, so bear with me. And, the, uh, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with a sword, and I even I, I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And I'm sorry, but I respect Elijah. Elijah was much of a man. Uh, the fact that he went 40 days and 40 nights without eating, 
I can't go 40 minutes. So, um, but, but I have a hard time not thinking about Madison, my little girl, going, God, I'm the only one left, and they all want to kill me. And I'm a, and like, it sounds like whining to me. You know why? Because it's kind of like it is whining a little bit. I mean, don't throw anything at me because I'm disrespecting the prophet of God, but he's kind of sort of whining here, low-key whining, as they would say. And so God said to him, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after an earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, still small voice, we recognize that. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. <clears throat> and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Again, the second time the question, What doest thou here, Elijah? And Elijah, as though God didn't hear him the first time, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go. Now this is a call to action. And look at how God deals with Elijah in Elijah's current state. God said, Go. Return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over, uh, over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be the prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Hey, I've got a pretty good system here in place, Elijah. I don't know if you trust me, but I know what I'm doing. And he says, uh, shall Elisha slay. Um... Yet, I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plying with 12 yoke of oxen. Let's continue on here. Elisha basically gets called into service, and he's there with Elijah from that day forward. <clears throat> now, I, I read that whole passage of Scripture for this point. Elijah... We don't like talking about this in, in churches because it just means you don't have enough faith. It just means that you're not a good enough Christian if you battle depression. That's wrong. Elijah, you read this passage of Scripture before where we picked up? Elijah was depressed. In fact, the, the heading, which again, not ordained of God, but says God's overwrought prophet. Elijah was overwrought. Elijah, <laughs> Elijah was depressed. In fact, he told God, just let me die. It wasn't, it wasn't, I'm mad, so let me die. I, I went. No, he said, God, just let me die. Just, I'm, just, what's the point? Jezebel wants me dead. Do you know what I did to her prophets, God? Jezebel wants me dead. Just let me die. He was depressed. Elijah's dealing with absolute, true depression. Elijah was not in a place that you would think that he would be a great leader in Israel at this point, right here. But you know where, what God did? God called him to action. You know what, when God called him to action and where he was when God called him to action? He was depressed and wanted to die and felt like he was the only one left that was doing anything right, and they want to kill me, God. You have no idea what I'm going through. And God said, son, where you are, what doest thou here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Get up. Go anoint that king. Go anoint that king. Go get Elisha. I got work for you, son. 
And he told him, from where you are right now, get up and go. And this is the call. Now, if any of you were talking to a lost person today, and if somebody in here is lost, you don't know Christ is your Savior, I'm talking to you. Nobody in here would have a problem with me saying to somebody who was lost, who told me, God cannot save me because I'm so bad. Anybody think there's anybody so bad God cannot save? Is God's hand shortened that he can't save? No, it's not. Is there anybody in here that would argue with me if I said, um, God will save you exactly how you are right now. You don't have to become good enough. It's not like a line you have to cross for him to say, okay, now you've reached a place where I can reach you. God can save from the uttermost to the guttermost. There is no limitation to how and when and where God can save. He will save you how you are. And I'm going to tell you, you're not welcome to stay that way. He wants to work in you and change you, but he will save you how you are. No Christian in here would have a problem with me saying that to a lost person. And I say to the Christians in here, God wants to use you, and God doesn't care where you are right now. He wants to use you. If you'll just surrender where you are right now, God can take you. Hey, but I need to change. I got some, okay, he can change. I got some cleaning up. He can clean you up. I got rough edges. Good. He's sandpaper. Like, don't worry about the fact that where you are is not where you should be. Because thank God I'm not where I was, but I'm still not where I should be. I'm moving on. So God wants you where you are. That's the, that's the lesson, the first lesson for saving God's life. Start where you are. Because if you wait until you're good enough, it's like, it's like somebody who just got married and they're about to start thinking about starting a family and say, we're waiting until we have enough money. Now, can all the parents in here of children laugh with me? There's no such thing. Start where you are. You're not going to get into a place where God suddenly goes, ha, I can use them now. They've moved. God wants to use you now. He wants to start right where you are. Second thing that we can pull from Shamgar's life is use what you have. Um, chapter th- 3 and verse 31, let's read it, just read, we'll read the whole verse again. Do you mind if we read a whole passage of scripture again? All one verse of it. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who slew of the Philistines 600 men, and hits this, with an ox goad. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen an ox goad, uh, but I'm about to show you one, magically. Ah, it worked. All right, so, <laughs> thanks, thanks. Um, this is ornamental. This is not the ox goad that Shamgar used. I hate to ruin it for anybody, but he probably did not have a pretty ox goad like this. This was probably a lot more rugged looking because it was used for its purpose. But this is an ox goad. Now, if you went to D&B today, you could find a goad. I actually did this when I was studying. I'm trying to find, like, I want to hold an ox goad in my hand. I want to hold one. Well, they're just called goads now. And it's, it's, it's really tall really tall and long. It's metal wrapped in like a rubber or plastic. And um, uh, it has a real, like for real, a hook like this big and the point on it's like this. And we call that an ox goad. This is an ox goad. You know, like uh, when you hit the ox with that, it goad. Okay, so the purpose of an ox goad, I'm going to list some things that you did with an ox goad. The purpose of an ox goad, an ox is to goad the ox along, G-O-A-D. You poked the ox in the hinder quarter, and the ox decided that its hinder quarter did not want to be there anymore, and we a little bit further advanced than it was, because sometimes they got a little bit distracted. So you goaded it along. The ox is going, and you want it to stop. You put the hook, and you don't have to jerk the hook back and hurt it. You just kind of 
tapped it on the shoulder and the ox would stop. It knew if I got hit back here, it would go forward. If I got hit up here, it meant stop. That's an ox goat. You just heard the entire description of what you would use an ox goat for. You don't really need them. There's other purposes, I'm sure, but that's really the intention of an ox goat is to move them or stop them. You didn't, you didn't slice and dice your oxen every time you used them. You would kill them that way. What I did not say was that an ox goat is an excellent tool for battle, because it's not. In fact, the intention of the hook is to pull closer. That's, you stop the advance of an ox. You pull it closer to you, essentially. When you're fighting in battle, you don't really want to pull your enemy closer. You want to keep your enemy at the length where you can strike the, the best blow. In fact, if somebody wants to punch you, the best thing to do is hug them. I mean, wh what are they going to do? You can't, <laughs> you really can't. The ox goad in battle is not, you know, you don't want to pull your enemies closer when you're using something that you can hurt them with, a club. They can't hurt you, really. So if he's wanting to really be effective in his battle, he probably needs a sword, a shield, a spear, anything that could be used to fight against an enemy. But that's not what he had. He had an ox goat. That's what the Bible says of him. It says he, he killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goat. With an ox goat. Which is not something you would use in battle typically. But this is the question that God likes to ask to his people that he wants to use. What is in your hand? Now, Shamgar, with Shamgar we say he started where he was. He's in his field. He's trying to plow. He's working. And he gets called into action, and he responded to that call of action where he was. Second thing is, use what you've got. Um, God asked Moses. Moses said to God, um, God, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. The, the, what, what many people believe about Noah, Moses. <laughs> Moses built the ark, right? All right. Uh, so what many people believe about Moses was that he stuttered. In a really severe stutter or some type of an impediment to keep him from being able to speak. And um, so, if I can, he kind of had a point. God, you want me to go speak to Pharaoh? I can't. And God said this, to, this is his question to Moses. He didn't say, son, I, I'll fix your tongue. He said, what's in your hand? And Moses said, a rod. He said, throw it down. Now it's a snake. How about that? He said, pick it up. Now it's a rod again. How about that? God said, what do you have? What's in your hand? He told him a rod. That rod ended up parting the Red Sea. That rod ended up being the instrument God used to put over and touch the, the, the Nile River. It turned into blood. Like that rod, the instrument. God said, what is in your hand? You want to lead the people of Israel. You should have a, a scepter. You should have a crown. You should have a throne. No, nope. what's in your hand? A rod. God said to David, what's in your hand? A sling little bag that would only hold, I believe, would only hold the number of stones that it held because if I was going up against a giant, I would have had like a bunch of stones. But um, a sling, five smooth stones. Hey, little boy, what do you have? He said, well, I got five loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? What do you have, Christian? It doesn't matter. God knows what you have. He can use what you have. Now, here's the thing that many of us will do to try to talk God out of needing us or using us or wanting us. We'll say, well, God, I'm inadequate. Cool, he made you that way. God, I feel like I'm just not worthy. Okay, cool, you're not. He chose to need you. He chose to use you. He chooses and chose 
love you. God, I, I'm not a speaker. Neither am I. Um, God, I, I got these limitations. Yeah, I already know about those. I'm asking you to work for me. I know about your inadequacies. I know about the fact. You know what? <clears throat> One time it was said of a, a, a young preacher got up into the pulpit and he was real, real proud and stood up and he was ready to preach the gospel and these people were going to hear it. And he was just real full of himself and he was deflated when he finished because it just fell flat. And he walked away and an older preacher came up to him and said to him, son, if you would have gone into the pulpit the way you came out of the pulpit, the results would have been different. God doesn't want us to look at ourselves and say, man, I'm, yeah, I'm good at this. I got this. Your church has so many different opportunities for you to serve. Churches, churches are kind of amoeba-like because we have, to, we, have to, we have to find a way to reach that unreached group that we discover. We discover an unreached group. We have, to, we have to find a way to reach them. So your church pushes and bulges out and says, we need some people to serve in this new ministry. And you say, well, I'm not, I'm not equipped for that. What equipment do you need to serve, really? Just to be available? Um, it's kind of a cliche, but God's only concern as far as your ability goes is your availability. Um, he knows what he's equipped you with. He knows the limitations you feel you have. He's not concerned about that. If you'll just surrender where you are with what you have. And the third point, this is the, where we're going to close. The third point, found in verse 31 at the very end, says he killed 600 men with an ox goad colon and he also delivered Israel and it's like not an afterthought but it's like a like he also delivered Israel what <laughs> like that's all you're going to say about it the dude delivered the entire nation of Israel how did he deliver the entire nation of Israel he started where he was and he had what he, he uh, used what he had in his hands he just started where he was with what he had Centennial Baptist Church Start where you are. Use what you have. And I can tell you something. You have no idea how far-reaching the effects will be. Caldwell will be a different place because of it. Nampa and all the other cities of our valley, our state, our region, our nation, you've got a pastor of your church, right? He loves you. He loves your church dearly. Where is he? It's in India. Guess what? Centennial Baptist Church, because you started where you were, and you use what you had, you've got a pastor who's ministering today in India trying to make connections to help preach the gospel in India. You have no idea how far-reaching the effects will be. Shamgar had no idea what he was going to do when he killed these Philistines. All he said was, God, I'm in my field. I'm trying to farm. I'm a little busy right now. I got, a, I got an ox code in my hand. I don't have a sword. God said, fight the Philistines. He fought the Philistines, killed 600 of them, and it says the result of that and there could have been more things that he did, but it says, and he also delivered Israel. You have no idea the far-reaching effects of your surrender to God. And I just ask you that today. I, I'm in a church in Cuna. We've got churches in our valley that are preaching the gospel this morning. If all of us would just start where we are and use what we have, as inadequate as we feel, God loves it when you feel inadequate, because then in your weakness, he's strong. I just let him use you. We have no idea of the far-reaching effects. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. I pray you would bless now Centennial. I pray that you would bless Brother Van Manen as he's traveling. Give him safety. Uh, give, him, give him rest while he's there. But also, Lord, use him in a powerful way to make connections. In Christ's name, amen.